Hey everyone, welcome back into the BT Powerhouse podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. As always, I am the host of the podcast and the manager of SB Nation's BT Powerhouse, your source for all things Big Ten basketball on the interwebs. Um, It is Tuesday, March 27th of the year 2018, and we come to you with Uh, A lot to break down here, and I know that's sort of a tradition here on the podcast for me to say we have a lot of exciting stuff going on, but um, this is one where, you know, it really really goes a little bit deeper. Um, We're coming off the Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend, second weekend of the NCAA tournament, heading into the Final Four, where the Big Ten has placed um, one, uh, one team this year, and that would be the Michigan Wolverines, and We're going to chat a little bit about what happened last weekend, um, a few minor notes about what's going on around the Big Ten, which continues to to run on our site. And then, of course, we're going to look ahead to this weekend's action um, involving Michigan, where they open up against Loyola. And to help us chat about it, we have Josh Stern, one of the writers on our site, who is our sort of Michigan expert. Uh, Josh, how's it going? It's good. I've never been called the Michigan expert before, so so I'm, I like that title. Um, no, I'm, I'm hanging out in uh, in Phoenix. I was in Los Angeles uh, this past weekend taking a pit stop, and I will be uh, in Texas in San Antonio for the Final Four on Saturday. So a pretty exciting West Coast swing for Michigan. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. Absolutely. Um, now, before we get to Michigan, I do want to just wrap up a few things here. Um, clean up a, a, a few notes, so to speak. Um, first and foremost, starting with Purdue, which was the other Big Ten team that made the Sweet 16 this year. Uh, unfortunately, the Boilermakers did not make it through the Sweet 16 round. They fell to Texas Tech by double digits on Friday evening, and they ended their season at 30-7, and seven, Sweet 16 um, appearance. Uh, Josh, what what did you make of Purdue's game against Texas Tech? And moreover, uh, just generally speaking uh, about this season, how what did you make of it for the Boilermakers? Uh, sure. I think the, the first thing is uh, just how tremendous the loss of Isaac Haas was. Um, Texas Tech was a team that kind of was predicated on wings and, uh, and good guards, and Haas was kind of the one neutralizer uh, that Purdue had in terms of an advantage. Um, Matt Harms could be that in a couple of years, but he's just not polished enough offensively right now. Um, and they were unable to take advantage of it. Um, it was interesting, too, to watch Carson Edwards. Um, when Haas is in the game, Edwards is kind of a little bit more of a facilitator, and I think without Haas, he, he tried to score, and he obviously was successful, but um, it, it felt like he just wasn't able to uh, have the same type of impact when you have someone like Haas who's seven foot three and, and emancipate offensively. Um, so I think overall it was a terrific year for them. Um, I think they really um, overachieved in some ways, especially losing Caleb Swanigan. People thought they were going to be good, um, at least in the regular season. They beat Michigan twice. They um, obviously had a really, really good big 10 season and they made it to the big 10 tournament final. But I think even if they would have beaten Texas Tech, I don't know if they would have had the horses to get over Villanova. I tend to agree. Um, I, I think it was a uh, a good season, um, borderline on great season. I mean, it is, just generally speaking, it's tough to 
belittle a 30-win season and a trip to the Sweet 16. But, you know, I, I was trying to think about a way to describe sort of what happened this season to Purdue because, you know, at various points, they looked very much like they could be the best team in the country. I mean, they they opened up 4-0. They lost those two games in the Bahamas, but they won, uh, what was it, like 17 straight games or something like that. They get to 23-2 and at their peak, 12-0 and in the Big Ten. And frankly, you know, most people are sitting back thinking, wow, big, Purdue's probably going to race to the Big Ten title. They're, they have a great shot at winning the Big Ten tournament. And, you know, they're going to be in serious contention for a one seed and a trip to the Final Four. And, you know, obviously things didn't work out in the regular season. They lost uh, those two games against Ohio State and Michigan State. And then they dropped that shocker to Wisconsin. They, they lose to Michigan in the Big Ten Tournament Championship. And then, you know, Isaac Haas goes down, and unfortunately they, they can't get past Texas Tech in the Sweet 16. And, and really this is one of those seasons where you felt like this was a top-five team all year. And, you know, Ken Palm agrees. You know, Purdue is fifth right now in Ken Palm. And, you know, that may change this weekend with some of the games still to go. But you felt like Purdue was a Final Four quality team that just ended up really – Again, I, I can't say they achieved nothing because that's just, you know, frankly, uh, a little hyperbolic. But, I mean, a sweet 16 for this type of team is, is really disappointing, um, in my opinion. And, you know, a lot of it, I, I agree. I think Isaac Haas was going to be a difference maker in that Texas Tech game. And when you pulled him out, um, you know, Texas Tech could sell out on the perimeter. They could sell out on Carson Edwards. And, you know, Edwards went off in that game, but at the same time, he wasn't insanely efficient um, at, at times, you know, he ends up with an offensive rating of 138. So, I mean, to an extent he was, um, but I, I just, when you have one guy trying to do it all, uh, it, it's usually going to lead to some issues and, you know, Purdue finished the night at 0.96 points per possession. So I, I just, I think Texas tech was able to really sell out uh, against that backcourt and the wings and really didn't have to worry about harms inside. So Overall, I, I thought it was – it felt like a little bit of an empty season considering this team. And, you know, I, I don't want to relate everything back to Michigan. You know, we're going to talk a lot about Michigan here in the um, the podcast to come. Um, but this reminded me a little bit of that 2016 Michigan football team uh, that really felt like it was a really, really good team capable of making the playoff. And they end up really doing nothing because they lost a couple games at the end and – maybe had some tough luck. Uh, I felt like this Purdue team was kind of like that, where, you know, play-by-play, it was a really, really top-end team, but they just didn't quite get the bounces uh, to do it um, and get the job done. Um, But, Josh, any any final thoughts on Purdue uh, before we move into a couple other notes? Yeah, I think the biggest thing about Purdue is it kind of felt like the team, Um, the fact that Matthias, and Haas and Edwards, um, um, four seniors, and Carson Edwards, who already declared for the NBA draft. So you, there's a possibility that they're going to lose all five of their starters. Um, I mean, that's not to say that the guys that they have in waiting are good. I mean, Brian Klein comes back, uh, Harms will be back, guys like that. But it really feels like a missed opportunity. Oh, sorry, PJ Thompson was the other guy. But it kind of feels like a missed opportunity to have all these. Starting lineup and a guard that could lead for the NBA 
uh, and they kind of missed it. So it could be a year or two, if not more, that Purdue will make it back to national prominence. Absolutely. I tend to agree. And, uh, you know, it does sound like you're in a wind tunnel, I, I will mention. But uh, <laughs> It's a little windy. But, uh, Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Phoenix is uh, pretty windy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, no, I, I tend to agree. Um, you look at Purdue's team, and, I mean, they're losing four senior starters. Um, this was not an exceptionally deep team. You know, I know Eastern had his moments. I know Harms had his moments as well. But this was not a great bench team. Uh, you know, the bench was not leading uh, the Boilermakers this year. And when you add in Carson Edwards, the fifth starter, and probably the team's best player, you know, considering the NBA, um, this team could be set up for a really big step back next season. You know, I, I think Purdue will be a tournament team next year. I really do. And, you know, we'll look at, there's plenty of time to look at the next season still, but yeah, Carson Edwards, NBA decision is going to be massive uh, for the Boilermakers here as we move forward. Um, I did want to hit on, on a similar note. Um, one other announcement, and that was uh Keita Bates day up declaring for the NBA draft, not really a surprise there departing Ohio state after being one of the best players in the Big Ten this season. Uh, Josh, any thoughts on uh, Bates Diop going pro? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is he's a redshirt junior. He's already 22. He had an unbelievable season. Um, And I think Ohio State massively overachieved. You know, I think they're a talented team, but I think between schedule breaks and Bates Diop playing at the top of his game, I don't think Ohio State with that roster, let's say you have that roster 10 times, 9 out of 10, they're not going to be able to achieve what they achieved this season. I think it's absolutely the right decision. I think I think he could be a successful NBA player. I mean, he's a, he's a prototypical wing. He's 6'7". Um, and I think, I think you know, when, when the money's good and, and you're pretty much guaranteed to be a first-round draft pick and you're a redshirt junior, you got to go. I agree. I, I think it was the right decision. And, and frankly, you know, there were people kind of debating about whether he should come back or not. To me, this is one of the more obvious ones. Uh, there was no way he was going to put up better numbers than he did this year. And even if he did, um, I, I think people really underestimate the nitpicking that would have gone on next season had he come back. Um, and I, I would have been shocked if he really improved his draft stock at all by returning next season. So I think it was a good decision for him. He had a stellar year. You know, Ohio State fell short against Gonzaga in the round of 32, but they get back to the tournament. They finish higher up in the Big Ten, and, you know, now he'll head off to the NBA. And we'll see what happens uh, to the Buckeyes next year. They'll have some serious roster overhaul before then. But, of course, as mentioned, we have plenty of time to talk about next year this summer. So let's jump into the one Big Ten team that is still playing, and that's the Michigan Wolverines. And let's start with last weekend and sort of your reactions to the weekend. The Wolverines take down Texas A&M on Thursday in dominating fashion, a game that's never competitive at all. And then Michigan follows that up with a tight battle, a little bit of an ugly battle on Saturday night against Florida State. They earn a Final Four bid, the first one since 2013, the eighth in program history. Josh, uh, what are your thoughts, reactions, um, and analysis of uh, last weekend for Michigan? Yeah, um, so I was fortunate enough to be in L.A., and my first comment is that uh, L.A. Live in the downtown Los Angeles area pretty much turned into Anarchy West. I wrote about a little bit about that in my, uh, in my, in my piece for the site this week, but um, 
I mean, there was a huge home court advantage. I think Staples Center, both Thursday and Saturday, were about 85 or 90% Michigan fans. Um, wow. I think Gonzaga losing on Thursday really helped uh, Michigan kind of create more of a home court advantage on Saturday, seeing as Florida State doesn't have as big of an alumni base, and they didn't travel as well. Um, Thursday was one of those classic vintage John Beeline Michigan teams where they make 14 three-pointers and the offense is crisp and everything is going. Um, I was worried um, that Michigan would have trouble with two bigs and rotating in a third big that are all 6'10 or bigger, and that did not end up being the case at all. Um, Both Tyler Davis and Robert Williams both had an impact. They both uh, made a lot of shots around the basket, and they blocked well, but they had no answer for guys like Duncan Robinson and Bogner and guys like that on the perimeter. So Michigan just absolutely torched A&M. Um, and then on Saturday, it was it was weird because, Thomas, I know you've been watching Michigan for uh, however many years. Michigan, at least under John Beeline in the last 10 years, doesn't win 58-54 games where they commit a ton of turnovers, and ultimately it comes down to defense. Uh, the two most important players were the two best defensive players on the roster that were Charles Matthews, who I'm really curious to hear your thoughts because I think we discussed maybe a month ago or a month and a half ago that he was in a brutal slump where he could have thrown the ball into the ocean and it wouldn't have found its way in. And now all of a sudden, in the most important game of Michigan season, he's the best offensive player. He's making everything around the rim. He's knocking down mid-range jumpers. He's knocking, he, hit, he made a three-pointer. And Michigan almost relies a lot on him. Um, and Simpson defensively, I mean, I, I don't think there's enough accolades. I think Simpson is one of those guys that feeds off of um, uh, criticism and, and not succeeding. And, and the fact that he was snubbed is on the all-defensive team and the fact that I'm sure he thought he was better than a lot of those guys. And there's some crazy statistics about the offensive ratings of the last maybe six or eight point guards that he's played. But let's just say they haven't fared well. Um, and so Simpson really sets the tone both offensively, offensively and defensively, especially in a game where both, where all three of Moritz Wagner, Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, and Duncan Robinson uh, all don't shoot very well at all. Um, I was also a bit concerned about the free throws. Michigan is in the bottom 50 of free throw percentage, and we knew there was going to be at least one game where free throws were going to be crucial. Um, I wrote that Michigan only hit two of a possible eight free throws. Um, and Florida State was able to trim the lead to three down the stretch. Um, and then there's obviously the baffling decision by Leonard Hamilton not to uh, foul um, Duncan Robinson with 11 seconds to go, which I didn't totally understand. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I guess to start with, with my general thoughts, I mean, I thought it was – it's really impressive how Michigan is playing. And as you noted, you know, this is a defensive-led team. I know everybody always likes to talk about offense with Michigan, but – it's the defense that has been carrying the day for the Wolverines. It carried them against Florida State. It carried them against Houston and Montana. You know, they, there is no way they're in the Final Four right now without this defensive renaissance that's happened over the last couple of months. Um, you know, Texas A&M was the one exception where the offense was just overloaded and hitting on all cylinders. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the other thing that's really interesting about this Michigan team is – you know, people, I, I think the media a lot really points to Wagner, but there is no dominant team or a player on this team. You know, Wagner has his games. Matthews has his games. Simpson, as you mentioned, is just a bulldog um, on the perimeter and, and really has been just giving a, a lot of problems to opposing, opposing uh, point guards, excuse me. 
you know, uh, Mar has his games. I mean, it's, it's a diverse team where there's a multitude of guys that can step up on a given night and add in the fact that it's a pretty deep team as well. Um, I know Michigan isn't necessarily off the chart in bench minutes, but they have three or four guys who can step up on a given night. I mean, Jordan Poole obviously stepped up against Houston. John Teske had that great game against Purdue in the Big Ten tournament. Um, Duncan Robinson certainly uh, is a guy who has really uh, uh, seen more and more minutes here uh, down the stretch. So, I mean, it's a a balanced team. It's a defensive-led team. Um, But, yeah, I I think uh, with regard, uh, you know, more specifically with regard to that Florida State game, um, yeah, they, they were up 10. Uh, they had to grind it out with some free throws. It got a little uh, stressful at, at times, but Michigan was able to pull it out. And, you know, as far as that fouling decision and for those who didn't get a chance to see Michigan's game against Florida State or the final minutes, um, Michigan was up four. They inbounded the ball. Duncan Robinson got it. I think there's about 10 seconds or so left at that time and Florida state decided not to foul um, and extend the game and instead just, uh, you know, threw in the towel, so to speak. Um, in my opinion, yes, they should have fouled. Um, I don't think there's an argument to say they, uh, it was the right decision not to foul because either way you're, you're probably going to lose. So it doesn't really make a difference. Um, but I do think it's a little overblown uh, the decision. I mean, Following Duncan Robinson, who's a 90% free throw shooter to go down to the other end, um, your odds are still so minuscule, especially considering Florida State, who is a pretty bad three-point shooting team. The idea of them hitting two threes in a row and getting two more missed free throws in 10 seconds is, is kind of a ridiculous proposition to me. But, hey, we've all watched more so Madness. My only pushback push yeah, sure. to that is Savoy, Savoy had just hit a – P.J. Savoy had just hit a three. Michigan had fouled P.J. so far in a previous possession. So within 30 seconds, they had already chipped six points. And like I said, Michigan went two for eight. As good as Robinson has been at the line all year, he's a, I mean, he's a college kid. You know, I mean, we saw – you saw what happened at the end of the Louisville-Virginia game. You know, to me, for a trip to play to the Final Four, you have to play it out until the final whistle. What if Michigan throws it away? What if Florida State makes a three? Or if Michigan fouls Florida State again and stops the clock? I completely understand where you're coming from, but, you know, with, with the trip to go to I don't, Florida State, you know, they're not one of those teams that makes the Final Four or is in contention every year. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a believer that you play it out, you see what happens, and I understand the statistics and the odds, but I still think that it didn't make any sense. Well, I mean, like, like I was saying, I, I think they should have fouled. I, I don't think there's an argument to say that was the correct decision. For me, it's just, uh, you know, it's a very small argument or point I'm trying to make here, just that, you know, this wasn't, oh, man, they probably would have won the game had they done this. I mean, it was a uh, very, very small shot. Um, And really, I I can't stress enough, you know, to people uh, to really conceptualize how many things they need to go right, how many things they would have needed to go wrong for Michigan to actually pull out the game. But, um, but Having said that, I do agree. It, w- it was the wrong call, but of course, uh, that's what they decided to do. Uh, Michigan moves on, and now they're heading to the Final Four. Um, before we talk about this weekend's matchup, um, just a-, a couple of thoughts uh, from you on John Beeline, on Michigan's program. You know, what does this mean? How important uh, is this appearance for the Wolverines? 
I think it's a huge deal. Um, we mentioned it a couple times already, but this is Michigan's least beeline team. Um, a couple years ago, I know that beeline pretty much conceded that he was not necessarily the defensive mastermind and the guy to run the defense, and he hired Billy Donlin. Um, and Donlin did a good but not great job. Um, I think he was aided by the fact that someone like DJ Wilson, who was a great defensive stopper and a great athlete in his own right, probably helped Michigan's defense without Wilson. I think Michigan is a pretty uh, below average defense. Um, But something with Yaklich, um, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I definitely have to give credit to the fact that Simpson finally got a full year under his belt and is a tremendous defender. Charles Matthews got to play. So you have to, very, very good defenders that you didn't have on last year's roster. Um, I mean, and I think the other crazy thing, too, is we talked about this, or or, or we, or someone's written about it, but everyone thought that next year was really supposed to be Michigan's year. They're top 10 recu- recruiting class. Um, besides for two seniors, you know, everybody else potentially could come back. So it kind of felt like, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. Michigan had a couple early scares. They didn't really play well at Northwestern. They really didn't play well at Nebraska. And then they just kind of go on this run. And Michigan fans all the time kind of have this feeling that, um, you know, Beeline is, is good but not great. And then February and March roll around, and there's a different team that shows up. And I think it's it's twofold. I think it's the fact that John Beeline is an unbelievable coach. I think he maybe is one of, if not the best, NCAA tournament coach. At least it's still coaching right now. Um, and two, that, you know, when – people are talking about pressing the panic button in January. Maybe we say, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. There are a lot of freshmen on the roster. There's a lot of attrition. There's a lot of things that are going on. Let's wait and see what happens with this team in March. So I think it's an unbelievable job. Um, But, you know, Michigan's two games away from from winning the whole thing. So I wouldn't even put it into – to to decide to categorize the season yet until we actually see what happens on Saturday and potentially on next Monday. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair point. And, you know, generally speaking, I, I think Beeline is a guy who gets a little bit lost in the mix, you know, right or wrong. You know, he hasn't necessarily uh, had a ton of success in terms of making Final Fours. And, you know, he doesn't have a national championship, anything like that. Um, but he consistently gets these teams that, frankly, the rosters are not necessarily the best and gets them uh, so competitive at the end of the season. And, you know, you mentioned Beeline as an NCAA tournament coach. Um, There's a statistic which is, uh, you know, performance against your seeding expectancy. So, for instance, if you're a one seed, you're expected to go to the Final Four. You're a two seed, the Elite Eight, so on and so forth. Kind of the idea that if you enter the tournament as a one seed, you know, making the Final Four really isn't, outperforming your expectations. But if you're a three seed and you make it, it it is because you have to theoretically pass higher seeded teams. And I believe Beeline is Except for Michigan this year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have to worry about that. (laughs) Except for the the craziness that unfolded this year. Um, Exactly. uh, I I believe Beeline is second only behind uh, Tom Izzo um, in terms of career uh, performance on that measure. And, Certainly, if you if you look just at the last couple of years, you know, Beeline's had some really uh, quality wins in the in the tournament. You know, he beat Kansas a couple of years ago. Uh, they beat Tennessee uh, the year after that. Uh, last year, they knocked off Louisville. And then this year, I know people have talked a little bit about the concept that Michigan has been, you know, sort of gift-wrapped this trip to the Final Four. Um, I do not agree uh, with that concept. And And first off, 
let me just note that there are no easy paths to the final four. I don't care if there's an upset in every round. Um, there are just, there are no easy paths to win four games against tournament competition. And, you know, maybe that makes me sound like a, a Michigan bias guy or something, but I, I just don't believe it. I, and when you look as well at, at some of these teams, I mean, Houston was, according to T-Rank, was playing at a top five level over the last month of the season. And Michigan knocks them out in the round of 32. A&M just blew the doors off North Carolina. Um, and then Florida State, I mean, they made the Elite Eight and they beat some really good teams to get there. And frankly, I mean, if you just look at their, their season uh, build up here, I mean, they're probably a top 30-ish team, maybe a top 25 team. Um, they just happened to lose a, a decent hunk of games by really slim margins. So I think Michigan has earned its way here. I think Beeline, this might be his most impressive coaching job uh, ever, um, certainly at least in the, the power five level. And, you know, Michigan fans should be happy and excited. And um, we'll get to this in one second, but, you know, there's a decent chance they, they could end up playing on Monday for it all, um, which is kind of crazy considering, uh, you know, if, you mentioned earlier this year, you know, when uh, the team was struggling a little bit, you know, I, I was looking back over and that UCLA game, which is December 9th um, of this season, you know, Michigan was trailing in that game in the second half. Um, they're sitting there at seven and three. They had already lost to Ohio state. They lose that game at home. Um, I don't know what trajectory this team goes in at, at that point. Instead, they pull it out. They follow that up with a win against Texas, and frankly, uh, the re the rest is history, um, so to speak. So I'm, you know, all ha hats off to Beeline and, and all those players who have really grown uh, over the course of the season. But as mentioned, of course, still some more to play. The season is not done, and, and Michigan will start off in the Final Four with the quote unquote early game at 6 p.m. Eastern on Saturday against Loyola of Chicago, who has been certainly the Cinderella of the field. Uh, the Ramblers are 32 and five. They have proceeded to beat Miami, Tennessee, Nevada, and Kansas state um, in their route to the final four, where they will match up against the Wolverines. Um, Josh thoughts on this matchup, um, general feeling about the Wolverines going in. Yeah. Um, I think the first thing to look at with Loyola is um, they are an 11 seed, but let's not, say that their path was so particularly difficult. I mean, you mentioned the teams. Miami was a six seed, but probably playing more like an eight or nine seed. Um, being Tennessee was a good win. I mean, there's absolutely nothing to take away from that. But I don't, I don't even think Tennessee was that good and probably overachieved a bit as a three seed. Um, Nevada just – I mean, Nevada was a seven seed and couldn't defend anyone and only played six players. And then Kansas State was kind of gift-wrapped. I mean, they beat Kentucky, but – the Kentucky's big man, uh, Washington, went 8-for-20 from the free throw line. And if that doesn't happen, then it's Kentucky against Loyola. So, you know, I think Loyola's a very good team. It's an unbelievable story. Um, I'm all in on the Sister Jean bandwagon. I, I think it's pretty cool media attention. But I don't think that Loyola has really had to play anyone defensively or um, athletically that's in the same sphere as Michigan. So it'll be really interesting to see how they do. Um, they all, I also love Michigan's matchup. Um, Loyola plays one traditional big, Crutwig, um, who's about 6'8 and 300 pounds, and it'll be really fascinating to see if he has any shot guarding Bogner on the perimeter. 
Um, I think this could be one of those games where you only maybe see Krautwick for 10 or 15 minutes and, and Loyola goes small, um, kind of like Florida State did where Leonard Hamilton was playing uh, Phil Kofer at the five and Kofer's about 6'7 or 6'8. Um, so I think it will be really, really interesting to see. Um, I'm, I'm also just curious to see whether Loyola can continue their hot shooting. Um, we know Michigan obviously had one really great game, uh, but Loyola was, was super hot against Kansas State. Um, Richardson was unbelievable. I can't imagine that he's going to make six threes again. Um, and the other really, really fascinating matchup that I want to see is how Xavier Simpson guards um, Clayton Custer. I love that name, by the way. I think Clayton Custer sounds like a war general. I think it's, I think it's probably the best name in college basketball. But – Custer has been so successful and so effective because he hasn't had opposing point guards who have completely been able to shut down what he wants to do. If Simpson is able to do that and Custer has a subpar game, you know, Loyola's going to have to make 12 threes, 13 threes, just because they can't get into their offense. Um, I like Ingram. I like Towns on the wing, but I like Michigan's wings better. I love Matthews. Even Livers, I think, is better than their wings. So, I really think that Michigan um, has the advantage in, in a lot of different spots on the floor, but I'm curious to hear what you think, what you scouted about Loyola, um, and how you think Michigan stacks up. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you, and, and frankly, I, I just want to note two things uh, generally before we dive into a, a little more of the specifics. The first thing is, is Loyola Chicago is a good team. They've earned their way there, and you know, frankly, this goes back to sort of the point I was making a little bit earlier in the fact that there are no easy paths to the final four, in my opinion, because, you know, I, I tend to agree. I don't think they have played anyone as good as Michigan in the NCAA tournament, but at the same point, you know, Tennessee was a three seed. Uh, the volunteers were yeah. not a bad team. Um, so they're thir- they're 13th on 10 pounds. So I, I do think the people who act like Loyola has simply just fallen into this um, are inaccurate. And I'm not saying you're saying that, um, but, there are people out there who think Loyola has simply just lucked into this. Um, and I don't think that's accurate at all. I think they've beaten some really solid teams. They haven't had to face an elite team yet, but I, I think they certainly have had some solid wins here. The other thing is, is, you know, this is the best team they're going to have played in the NCAA tournament. And according to Ken Palm, it's the best team they played all season, which Shouldn't come as a surprise. They're in the final four. Um, This is normally what happens as you move on into the tournament. Um, Michigan is the best defensive team they'll have faced all season. And I I think, I don't think they've seen a team with this combination of defensive intensity and complexity on offense um, that Michigan will bring on Saturday. And um, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think Michigan is going to be able to disrupt Loyola's offense. And I, I will give you two reasons why I think that. The first is, I agree. I think Simpson is really going to create some problems uh, for Custer in the backcourt. Um, additionally, Michigan is a bigger team uh, than Loyola. And, you know, bigger teams don't always win. Um, but I do think that is going to create some problems. The other, the other big reason um, something that may have slipped under the radar a little bit, but Luke Yaklich, who is Michigan's quote unquote defensive coordinator. Uh, he came to Michigan from Illinois state last year who faced Loyola every single year. And Illinois state had a lot of success against Loyola when he was there. Um, again, different players, different matchups. Um, certainly this is the best Loyola team uh, <laughs> there's been in quite some time. Um, but I I think part of the reason Loyola's had so much success is 
this complex offensive system. You know, in a lot of ways, they're similar to Michigan. And I think they're a tough team to prep for on these short turnarounds. Um, Luke Yaklich already knows what they're going to run. I don't think there's going to necessarily be any big surprises here on Saturday for Michigan. Um, and, you know, we, uh, I remember reading an article, you know, before Illinois, or not Illinois State, Loyola uh, faced Kansas State on Saturday about how, how detail-oriented Loyola Chicago is, about how much prep uh, has gone in, about how they know every player. They have these boards up in their locker room about every player, their tendencies, so on and so forth. Um, well, Michigan's a pretty detail-oriented staff as well. You know, John Beeline and Yaklich, uh, very, very detail-oriented. Um, I think it's going to be a chess match on both sides, but I don't think there's going to be any um, surprises, you know, coming for Michigan. I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to be caught off guard. I guess is is my main point um, with that kind of stuff. And on the other end, um, that's where I think this game is going to be determined. I think Michigan's defense is going to have success against Loyola's offense. And the question mark is, can Michigan's offense produce? Um, per, efficiently against what's a pretty good Loyola defense. You know, everybody's talking about the offense, but Loyola also is another team that is actually better defensively um, than they are offensively. So I, I think that is going to be really interesting. Michigan's got to find a way to keep Wagner on the floor, make sure he doesn't get into foul trouble. And I think Michigan, they got to find a way to get it inside. I think this is a game where Matthews could really step up um, against what, should be a smaller um, wing group. Um, he should be able to get off some of those mid-range twos. And if Michigan can get a big night from him, get some solid play from Wagner, I think they're in good shape uh, to move on um, to Monday. Um, but Josh, we've been talking about why this could be a good matchup for Michigan. Um, let, let's get pessimistic here uh, for a minute or two. Um, what, what could go wrong for Michigan on Saturday? And what would be a route for Loyola to pull off this upset? Um, I mean, I would say that Michigan offensively has played well once in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> uh, Texas A&M, Michigan looked like a world beater. And the other three games, they looked like they forgot how to shoot. Um, you know, a team like Montana was able to get up 10 nothing in the first game of the NCAA tournament. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the bright lights and, I mean, shooting is weird in a, in a football stadium. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Let's say Michigan yeah. just, just is unable to hit shots. I mean, that's one of those weird things that people forget is because the NCAA is looking to, for another dollar, they play these games in a football stadium where it's 80,000 <laughs> people. And so the trajectory of the shots is completely different than normally what the players are used to. So, I don't know. Let's say Duncan Robinson and Marr and those guys. Let's say they only make two threes or three threes and Loyola makes ten. Um and Loyola, maybe maybe they get to play at their pace. Maybe Wagner gets in foul trouble, and essentially you're playing Teske, where Teske has to run out on the perimeter on a six six or six seven uh, big guy. Um, I mean, there's definitely possibilities, but um, I mean, I think the biggest thing, I think Michigan just needs to make their shots. I think Charles Matthews being able, like you said, to establish an inside game and, and make mid-range jump shots is going to be huge. Um, but I think foul trouble can play a part. Um, you know, especially at the point guard spot. Xavier Simpson's been so effective when he's played, and, and not to take anything away from Jaron Simmons, but Simmons isn't the same type of impact defender that Simpson is. So if, Simmons, if Simpson gets in foul trouble, you'll see a lot of Jaron Simmons on, on Clayton Custer, and then Custer's able to move, move the ball and get the offense going and flowing. So if Simpson can only play four minutes in the first half and they all can jump out to a lead, I think that could be a big problem for Michigan. 
I tend to agree. And, you know, I think that's a great point about uh, Jerron Simmons. You know, we saw them uh, when they faced off against uh, Gray in, uh, for Houston that when Jerron Simmons came in, there was a noticeable drop uh, on the defense played against him. So Michigan really needs Simpson to stay out of foul trouble. You know, Custer is a lights out three point shooter. He's a 46% shooter from three on the season. And I'm, I did not misstate that 46%. Um, and Loyola is statistically one of the best three point shooting shooting teams in the country. Uh, they hit about 40% of their attempts 11th in the country. And, the one good thing uh, for Michigan, you know, a bunch of people I, I've seen nationally highlighting this, you know, well, Loyola can light it up from three. Michigan's really going to have to figure that out. Um, they've, they've already played a team that, that has lights out from three, and that's Purdue. Uh, the Boilermakers were actually a better shooting outside shooting team than Loyola this season. And when you consider the competition Purdue faced versus what Loyola faced, um, I, I don't necessarily think – it's all that close, gener- generally speaking. Um, so Michigan has seen a team that can shoot like this before. They've seen teams with a point guard who can who can light it up. So there shouldn't be uh, any surprises here. It's just, can Simpson stay out of foul trouble, stay on Custer? And really, I can't stress this enough for people from a 100-foot view, how similar these teams are. Uh, Loyola is not a a team that follows a ton. They play relatively slow basketball, better defensively than they are offensively. They can shoot from three. All things that kind of describe this Michigan team this year. Um, so this this is a little bit of the mere matchup, uh, which is always hard to tell uh, how that's going to sort out. Um, but I, I think Loyola, if they're going to win this game, I agree. I think first off, they got to get somebody in foul trouble on Michigan's side. Maybe it's Wagner. Maybe it's Simpson. I think Simpson would be the more damaging one in this matchup. And then I think, again, they got to disrupt Michigan's offense, which, you know, if Simpson's off the floor, I, maybe that's a way to do it. Um, but Michigan, as you mentioned, has not been all that efficient and consistent in the NCAA tournament. And this is a game where it could bite them because there's not going to be a ton of possessions. Loyola likes to play very slow. They're 315th in adjusted tempo this season. Michigan is 326, so there's not going to be a massive amount of possessions in this game. Neither team is going to run it up and down the court, Um, so it's going to be big on how you operate in that half-court set. Can you get open shots, and can you get good opportunities? And um, both of these teams pride on it, and I I think it's Loyola has to disrupt that. they got to get something to break their way, which I think would be foul trouble um, or – you know, maybe a guy like Marr or Duncan Robinson just has an off night from three-point range. You mentioned the football stadium. Um, if if you're someone who hasn't seen a basketball game played in a football stadium, first off, it is, it is cool. Uh, the atmosphere is really fun. But, yeah, it's weird. When you look at the sight lines and stuff for the players, it's very bizarre. Um, and it does affect a lot of shooters. So, I think – um, getting tuned into that will, will certainly be a, a question mark for both sides. And whoever happens to do it better uh, might come out on top in this matchup. Um, Josh, any, any final thoughts here on, on this matchup before we, we talk a little bit about the other game happening this weekend? Um, no, let's, let's talk about two teams that do like to run it up and down the court, because I think, <laughs> you know, if you're looking for, a, a really well-played, clean, slow, methodical first-to-60 game, 
then Michigan Loyola is for you. If you want two teams that are probably going to attempt, I don't know, somewhere between 50 and 63s combined and like to run it down and, <laughs> and pretty much play eight, nine, there could be eight or nine or ten guards on the floor at the same time, then Kansas-Philadelphia is absolutely the matchup for you. Okay, so let, let's talk about this. We obviously don't have to go as in-depth about it. You know, should Michigan move on, we will certainly podcast again. Um, probably on Sunday uh, with regard to the national championship game. But should Michigan move on, they will face the winner of Kansas and Villanova. Um, What are your thoughts about this game? Um, Who should Wolverine fans be rooting for, in your opinion? Um, And what should, uh, I guess, just fans be looking for? I would say Wolverine fans should be rooting for Kansas. Um, I've watched Villanova play a couple times in the NCAA tournament. I watched them play during the regular season. They just really don't make mistakes. They have eight guys on the roster in the rotation that can all shoot threes, they can pass, they can dribble, um, a lot of veterans. Um, I think they have two McDonald's All-Americans in Jalen Brunson and Mikhail Bridges that are both really good. Uh, they bring a guy like DiVincenzo off the bench who would probably be starting for every other team in the country if they didn't have six starters like Villanova does. Um, I like Kansas, but Kansas is a little bit more erratic and a little bit more susceptible. Um, I mean, Malik Newman has been playing out of his mind for Kansas. He's been, I would say, the best player of the tournament. Graham was the best player of the first game, but Newman really has been the guy. Um, I wonder, though, what happens with a guy like Azabuki, who's a traditional big, that can't jump out and guard uh, Omari Spellman or Eric Paschal on Villanova. Um, so I think if you're Michigan, you'd rather see Kansas, but I mean, both teams are really, really good. Kansas just beat Duke. And Duke probably has four or five NBA players in their starting lineup. So I'm not taking any, anything away from Kansas, but Michigan knows that there's not an 11 seed that's waiting to potentially the national championship <laughs> game. So I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I don't have a lot to add. I think Michigan fans should be rooting for Kansas in, in this game. Um, but either way, you're going to be facing a really good team. And, you know, my thought process, you know, I've watched Villanova a number of times this year. I've watched Kansas. Um, If Villanova is hitting on all cylinders, and I'm talking, you know, 10 out of 10, they're hitting at the best, best productivity that they can do. Nobody can beat them. Nobody. I don't care about what people think of what Virginia might have been, Kansas, Duke nobody could beat Virginia because they will just destroy you from outside. Um, Kansas, I think Michigan could beat them. Even if Kansas was at their full potential, if Michigan was at their full potential as well, I think Michigan would have a shot. Um, I don't feel like that with Villanova. So inherently to me, um, you want to go with the team that, you know, even if they're playing really well, you have a shot against. And, you know, moreover, the thing about Michigan that has been so impressive this season to me is the mental toughness, the stability, a team will get a run on them. A team will make them uncomfortable. They'll get behind, um, you know, they'll give up a good lead. They'll respond accordingly. I mean, Florida state was coming back on Saturday and there was a lot of teams that would have folded in that situation. Um, We saw it against Purdue. We saw it against Michigan state. Uh, Heck, I mean, Houston, Michigan should have lost that game. Um, but the just mental composure, they never give up. They're always cool, calm, and collected. Um, Villanova is another team that I feel can do that, where you'll get them uncomfortable and they will just go nail three threes in your face and, and you're done. 
Um, so I, I just, if I'm Michigan, um, I'm hoping Kansas is the team that advances. I expect Villanova is going to be the team that gets there. And a Michigan-Villanova matchup with Michigan's defense against Villanova's offense would be fascinating. Um, but I, I do think Villanova is, is going to be the team that makes it there. Um, Josh, uh, any, any final thoughts here on the, on the final four on Michigan um, and just uh, March Madness in general, before we let you go. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a crazy tournament. I don't think there's any denying that, but we still do have three top three seeds. Um, I think Villanova was probably the best team all year. People like to say maybe Virginia, um, Kansas was a one seed and won the big 12 again. Michigan didn't win the Big Ten, but they won the uh, the Big Ten tournament. So you have three of, I don't know, the top five, top seven teams in the country that are still left. And then you have Loyola. And Loyola is obviously playing unbelievable basketball. So people that, that were complaining that the tournament was a little bit weak and maybe was a little bit unpredictable, you have four really, really, really good teams that are in the Final Four. Um, I think it'll make for an awesome Saturday, and I think it'll make for an awesome Monday too. So, I'm excited, but look, as a Michigan fan, when you see an 11 seed there in the national <laughs> semifinal, you have to be feeling pretty good about your chances. Certainly. I mean, Michigan's favored on, on Saturday, and, you know, there aren't really – I don't think there are any reasons on paper uh, to disagree, but I should note, you know, can't stress it enough, Loyola is a good team, and I'm sure every team who has faced them so far has thought, well, hey, on paper we're better. So uh, buckle in. It's going to be a fun weekend, and – Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, and I'll have some updates from, uh, from San Antonio over the weekend. Awesome. Can't wait, man. Um, and with that, that was uh, Josh Stern. Again, he's one of our writers. He primarily covers Michigan on the site. So if you're a Wolverine fan at all or just interested in the, their uh, news and events, um, follow Josh. Check him out on the site. But with that, I'm going to call it a night here. On the BT Powerhouse podcast, my name is Thomas Bendit. You can follow me on Twitter at TBendit. And we'll see you all next time. Um, we will have a podcast on Sunday, should Michigan advance to the national championship game. If they do not, we will probably have one on Tuesday or Wednesday. But thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>